you are not gonna buy a new driver, not because you're like, oh my God, 600 is too much, but it's simply saturation. because you don't need one. You probably bought a full bag of clubs within the last two years. Year over year performance gains are not massive. They're not significant. For many golfers, they will be barely noticeable. This is the reality. And so yep. if you already have the shiny new thing, you don't need a different shiny new thing. All right, everybody. Welcome back. back. No puts Kevin, Tony, Tony, Chris, Golf Spike, Steve, Golf Spike. We're back. It's been a little bit of a hiatus, Tony. Where did you go? I, well, I was in <laughs> Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, which I shall now be affectionately referred to as the Scotland of the Southwest with the <laughs> whipping 40 mile an hour wind and sub 50 degree temperatures. It was an absolute blast. Couldn't hey. ask for more on a golf course. Right. What else would you want? Well, that's better than me. I was in the hospital. So, yeah. Well, you lose. I, I lost that one, but I'm back. I'm okay. I'm going to make it. I think. Just depends. Um, two topics, really, today, Tony. We can kind of figure this stuff out, but we want to talk about. Make it a quick one. Okay. Fujikura Axiom. We got to talk graphite versus steel iron shafts. It's a, it's a topic that's not going away. It's only picking up speed. And then you posed an interesting question last week. We got an interesting question. Are golf drivers specifically, have they gotten out of control in terms of pricing? Are things just too dadgum expensive? I mean, a dozen eggs taken out a mortgage. $47. Right? I I mean, when you're trying to, I need at least three and a decent omelet. It's like, well, now what do I do? So are things getting out of control in a pricing perspective? Then I got a couple, a couple random mailbag questions for you, Tony. So, you know, there's that piece. Where do you want to start? You pick. Let's uh, let's start with with Fujikura Axiom Graphite Iron, Iron Shafts dot com dot com. The premise, Tony. Tony, how long have we been hearing about this shaft? For before we dive into what what <laughs> oh it is, God. I feel like uh, we've been talking how long, about how long has AT been in Cal at Callaway? Because it's like that long plus like six months at least. So it's it's been a while. This can is we, this is not a new development. Can we say a couple of years? Is that fair? Probably at least at least. Yeah, I mean it's pre-COVID, right? Was, I mean, so I would say. I, well, that was 20, we, we March didn't of 2020. Know, we didn't know, but we didn't know it was Axiom, but we knew that the the next generation of Fujikura iron shafts was coming. Right, and that it would likely it likely replace the Pro line. Um, so let's get into it. What are they? Why should anybody care about them? Well, not that long ago, right? Fujikura came to market with its Ventus product in drivers and metalwoods, and it's become the it shaft, right? Of tour retail aftermarket. It's kind of, it's the thing right now has been for the last couple of years, probably, you know, will be moving forward a little bit. And the question was, well, could you ever do that in an iron shaft? Just do it eight times. Just do it eight times. And so, Tony, what I mean, what specifically, repeat, when they say do that in an iron shaft, what are they really talking about or what were they kind of asking for? That's VeloCore. That's kind of been the, the secret to the uh, to the Ventus magic. At least that's what we're told the secret is. We just know that it, it works and works really, really well. Uh, I guess, you know, do you want to say VeloCore is is the reason for it? I, I can't dispute it. It seems to work. Nobody else has been able to replicate that success. 
And so it was, it was only logical that you would try and extend that out. And for all intents and purposes, a fairway wood shaft is a driver right. shaft. Right. And they rolled it into a hybrid shaft shortly after the driver shafts came out. So what was next? Let's iron put it in an iron and see how it goes. But it's a whole different a whole different battle a little bit. But before we jump into that, I remember in one of the very first articles you wrote maybe as we were discussing it, it was like we found ourselves kind of talking around the idea of those old BASF commercials, you know, where it's like, hey, we don't make the things that you buy. We make the things that you buy better. And it was kind of that idea with Ventus, right, where it it was a, a shaft component, a shaft technology that basically allowed the club head to function more optimally, specifically getting more, you know, on center strikes, accessing the MOI of the head, whatever the forgiveness metrics are, but basically allowing people to more consistently make center face contact or close to center face contact. And for all intents and purposes, that's kind of what we've seen. I mean, I think that's, that's a fair statement that over the last couple of years, I've seen that in my own game personally. I think that's probably part of the success people have seen on tour is that consistency metric. And now it's in an iron. Should we do backflips, Tony? You know, if, uh, if not for the price point, I think we could, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd be super excited, but, uh, I mean, there's a lot to love here, but then when I have to go, you know, follow them and go, but prices start at $105 per shaft. Uninstalled. If you want the right, if you want the one hundred, is it a one twenty or one twenty? One twenty five. So, <laughs> if you want the one hundred twenty five gram version, the price is a hundred and twenty five per shaft. See what they did there. Not sure why they didn't just split the difference and price everything in the one fifteen ballpark, give or take. But hey, um, yeah. So we know this is going to be price prohibitive for some. Fujikura sure. knows it's price prohibitive, but it's it's going to be one of those things. It's going to be sold through fitters. Uh, I, I spoke with Ian Frazier from TXG last week. He, he feels like he's going to do pretty well with it, with his clientele for the guys it fits into. So I don't, I don't think he sees it as, as an obstacle, the price, but certainly I, I can guarantee that the people sitting here listening to this, watching this, are seeing that price tag and going, that, I'm out, I'm, I'm done. Out. Right, because right. you don't with an iron plate. You you don't need just one. I, I I tend to carry fewer irons than most people, and I need five or six of them. Yeah. So, right. yeah. I mean, by the time you're all said and done out the door, even if you have, like I said, you carry five through pitching wedge or four iron through pitching wedge, you're six seven irons in. You're probably eight nine hundred bucks. Right. By the time it's all all said and done. And so in, in Fujikura isn't running from that. They're not hiding from it. They're not trying it's to not a top secret price. No, they're not trying to, and then into their credit, they're not trying to justify it in the sense that it's like, Hey, here's why it's a great value. You know, they're not, they're <laughs> not. And, and I really, I, I do. I appreciate that where it's like, Hey, we know it's expensive. It's kind of a concept car model in the sense that we priced it based on, you know, what we think some people might purchase it at and, and gives us some retail opportunities. But the reality is maybe over the next cycle or two of some of their other 
composite shafts that they have, iron shafts specifically, we may see some of this technology trickle down and ultimately find homes in in products that are not quite as costly. You know, which maybe, you know, you look at steel shafts, they're forty to sixty-five dollars somewhere in there uninstalled. Yeah, so it depends. It depends. You can definitely find alternatives for less. And and you can certainly find alternative graphite for less. I mean, MMT quality shaft less and then sort of I think what is part of the battle with graphite is we've been conditioned to to think of graphite as being for old people, slow swingers or right. To an extent if you look at what has traditionally gone into OEM lineups, it, it's just not that good. No. It's it's not sort of there's there's no, no there's no cores no. velo or otherwise. It's just <laughs> you know, it's, it's lightweight They're... and and priced or or designed to be affordable. Right. Which means in the graphite space not particularly you know, exciting, I guess is probably the nicest way to put it. There's not a lot of high tech engineering that goes into it necessarily. It's just, you know. Yeah. Wrap it and roll. Wrap it, roll it, and there you go. So with with this particular chef, like you said, with Axiom, there's three different weight classes, 75, 105, 125. They're priced the independently. See, I didn't, I didn't even look at the 75. <laughs> <laughs> three uh, weights, 75, 105, 125, three prices, 105, 115, 125, kind of the same order. And the way that they did it is they have three blanks for every weight class, meaning you would have like two, three, and four iron shafts would come from the same set of three, five, six, seven come from the next set of three, and then eight, nine wedge is that third set of blanks. They're all three uh, 370 parallel tip, not 355 yeah, I think, tape. I think that's, that's worth, if, if anybody watching this is unfamiliar, so I don't want to say typically, but uh, iron shafts come one of two ways, parallel, which is essentially all eight, nine, however many are in your set, come from the same blank. Essentially, it's one shaft that gets cut at the tip to achieve the, the designated iron, and then you butt trim to length. So that's kind of how you control stiffness, as opposed to a taper tip, which is what you'd find in certainly... I. Broad strokes here, but oftentimes like your less expensive game improvement offerings tend to be parallel tip. And then once you get into the higher end of the, the market, your your forgings, your most of the players distance categories, that's going to be a taper tip design where every every shaft is designed for a specific purpose. So this is the seven iron shaft. This is the eight iron shaft. You don't you don't do any cutting at the tip, you cut to length, you're good to go. So yeah. A little more work involved with parallel tips. So I thought that was kind of an interesting choice, especially given, again, looking at like Mitsubishi and the MMT, they've gone taper tip in their kind of that, that higher weight class, that premium, if you will, that better player spec shaft. So I was mm -hmm. a little surprised to see the parallel here, but to an extent, I get it. Yeah, I don't love I, it, but I get it. I don't love it either, but I get it from their perspective that if this really is, you know, designed to go through club builders through you know he said like ian at txg and the club champions true specs of the world whatever it really makes no difference to the golfer necessarily it makes very little difference to the golfer it's hey what does that fitter want to and that fitter and that builder what do they want to use what kind of levers do they want to be able to pull to get it exactly to the spec that they're trying to you know in terms of the length 
swing weight, stiffness, and those kind of things. And for right now, that's that's what Fujikura feels like. That's going to give those people the best opportunity to do that. So um, we'll see. My other question with this, Tony, is does this bring us any closer to an inflection point? Meaning, you know, again, at one point in time, you know, it's Tiger, 43 and a half inch, steel shafted driver, right? We remember those pictures, kind of images of him at, at Augusta bombing it with that. And he was one of the last people to switch over uh, to a carbon composite, a graphite uh, shaft in his driver. Are we getting there? I mean, because on paper, on part on paper, it's hard to make a case for steel as the superior material to carbon composites. So are we getting there? Do you think? Oh man, I, I wish I could say yes, but again, I think and we'll talk about this in the next segment, but we, we know golfers are already feeling a little more than a little in some cases, at least perception is that that stuff is is already too expensive and to throw a, a graphite shaft reasonably i think most of our our listeners are going to be in that 115 120 right that's yeah the 105 125 105 to 125 each so they're gonna or 115 125 each so they're gonna be at the higher end of already a premium price arguably ultra premium we'll drink for, for saying that, but from a price perspective, that's that's certainly where we're at. And so I think until until graphite reaches the point where it sort of is on the edge of of affordable, or you know doesn't doesn't reach an ultra premium price point, is just a premium price point. Uh, it, it's tough. I cause we talk about driver prices, and we will here in a, in a few minutes, but. It, it's not like iron prices are have held steady. Now, iron nope. prices are also. I mean, you want to you if you have four J's now sixteen seventeen hundred dollars for single piece forging, and you're gonna toss in seven eight nine hundred on top of that for shafts alone. It's it's a really really tough sell. And so, uh, as much as I like the idea of, of faster ball speed, and I think I think golfers will likely see that on average again because what we've seen with below core technology and the venture shafts is you do tend to hit that center fix a little more often. So I think you can expect faster ball speed and the other big selling point, tighter dispersion. Again, we tend to see that with the venture shaft product of that view of core, they right. go hand in hand. And I think, I think you will see that, but it's, you're going to have to pay to get it. And that is the barrier. So, you know, until, until you see, I think, I think we're at least 2x, likely 3x the price point where you sort of are talking about graphite as a a reasonable and attainable alternative to steel in an iron shaft. So I, yeah. I love the idea of it. I'd like to see more of it. And my expectation is these shafts are going to be, you know, I, I, I have high hopes for them from a performance perspective. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's been a while since Fujikura has disappointed me with a product. And so I, I don't expect I'll be disappointed here. But yeah, this is not going to be, this is not the product that kicks the door open. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, the other challenge. Home. <laughs> the other challenge I think they face too. And, and by they, I mean just kind of the whole composite industry with that 
is, yeah, there is the price component and we know it's expensive, et cetera. But, you know, when people switch to a solid core ball, like when Pro V1 hit out, right, in, you know, 2000, 2001, the performance difference was immediate, noticeable. It was like you were automatically 20 yards behind everybody else if you didn't switch, right? Saw a similar kind of uh, jump with composite shafts in, in terms of metal woods. It was like, hey, unless you're a tiger, you know, at that point in time, you're going to be behind. There was clear and demonstrable performance differences in, in, that, in, in that regard, right? With iron shafts, I think it's a little more subtle. I mean, yes, we're talking increases in ball speed. We're talking, the. I mean, total iron performance isn't subtle. It's like, geez, if I can hit it at my target or closer to my target more often, that makes total sense to me. But it doesn't have that wow factor of, ooh, look at that, <laughs> you know? And so I think part of that is people coming around to the reality of what actually impacts performance and understanding how impactful that could be to somebody's game if you could if i could say hey if you could really decrease your dispersion on your seven iron by 15 percent they go i yeah that sounds good but what does that actually mean to me if they could actually see and go okay over two rounds three rounds four rounds here's what that might do for you but that that's a learning curve man that's going to be hard for the average consumer to get their head around you know? I think I think everybody's math is probably a little bit different, but there's definitely a performance per dollar calculation that goes on in our head, and it's or again, I'll, I'll keep referring to the driver, uh, but we we see people saying, "Hey, is it is it three more yards? Is it five more yards? What am I getting for six hundred dollars?" and and that's already a challenge, and now we're saying, "All right, well for for nine hundred dollars." You can you can bring in your dispersion by some amount that that you may not even. It, it's a bit like the golf ball argument. I'm not good enough to to see the difference. And as much as I can say whether or not you see it, whether or not you comprehend it, it's real. It is there. You can appreciate it ultimately, but it's it's really really tricky to see tighter dispersion in sort of little you know, one shot at a time, if you will. So to yeah. kind of see see it over a prolonged period of time, you, you only see that after you've made the investment, I think. Right. And that alone makes it, right. makes it kind of a tough sell. Like, oh, yeah, no, I, I hit them well during my fitting, but what am I going to really see? So there's there's a little bit of doubt in that for sure. And while I think, again, I'm, I'm confident it's going to translate, man, price-wise, yeah. whew. Yeah, so we'll see. I like I said, I'm I'm very optimistic from a performance standpoint. We've been waiting for these for a while, so it'll be fun. <laughs> a long, a long while. Like I said, I I thought they should have named the product Godot, you know, for waiting for Godot, and people that <laughs> know the play will, will will get that reference. But let's go right into the drivers. So you said that you know, Titles TSR six hundred bucks. Uh, right, Stealth two plus. We're we're, we're pushing over six hundred bucks. Six thirty. Six thirty again. You know, Paradigm, 600 bucks, whatever. They're all there. We're not singling out any particular manufacturer. The The point is the going rate, if you will, for a premium driver that just came out is plus or minus 600 bucks. So, I mean, yeah, five five to six. Mizuno tends to be a little less. Cobra doesn't go all the way up to six. So there are right. pings in there. Pings at six now, I believe. So, yeah. It is, it is, and and there are some 
you know, PXG has has been less. I don't know if they're going to stay way low for long. I I suspect that, uh, and we'll have more to say about this in a couple of weeks, but I suspect the days of of significant deep cost cuts are, are gone for PXG as well, right. at least in the short term. So 600 is the reality. And, and the question I tackled is, you know, ultimately, if are golfers starting to balk at, at driver prices as they get to 600 bucks? Yeah, basically. I mean, that's the, the basic question is, is 600 bucks too much for a driver from, uh, from the standpoint of, is that price too high based on what we're thinking the demand will be for a $600 driver, right? And we, you wrote the article we talked about, we got feedback. Some people said yes, some people kind of said no, but kind of run me through what your thoughts are. And then I'm, I have uh, some quotes I pulled out from people that responded and I would love to get your thoughts on these, Tony. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's easy. And this all started with uh, one of our forum moderators has worked, uh, Robert has worked in a pro shop for a long time. And his observation, I don't think it's, it's you know, even to him is anything more than that. But his observation is that to date this year, he has sold fewer drivers than in recent years. And so the, the logical question to come out of that is, our golfers starting to balk at the high price point. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of thought about it. It seems like the obvious answer would be yes. But <laughs> as I kind of thought through it, because it, it sounds like, but, you know, I, I've been doing this for 12 years, maybe more. I, I And, you know, when I started, people bitched about $300 drivers and then right. $400 drivers and $450 and complained every step of the way. Right. Nobody likes higher prices. I, I get that. But it didn't stop the sales from happening. People are still buying drivers. And so, you know, kind of what I what I came to believe was based on a conversation I heard on the radio not too long ago. And I reference this in the article. I call it golf's patio furniture problem. Mm-hmm. But, but the premise is in listening to an interview with a guy who owns a shop that sells patio furniture and whose sales have declined. It's, you know, he didn't he didn't reference patio furniture having a price problem. And if you've ever looked at patio furniture, if you've ever not a good it deal. Up, you think, yeah, if you think golf clubs are expensive, go go look at an Adirondack chair or a table and chairs from you know anybody that's outside the big box store. If you if you're looking for decent stuff, your your equivalent of a Callaway, whatever a Callaway uh, patio Callaway set paradigm, looks like, yeah, whatever, right. Whatever kind of that, you know, that that upper echelon, your your Titleist, your Callaways, your TaylorMades of patio furniture. Right. Like that that stuff has gone up in price. It's way expensive for what it is. But the most relevant point to this discussion is just as with golf clubs, it took off during COVID, during the pandemic. Everybody who wanted patio furniture, who needed patio furniture, who even had a thought about patio furniture, Bought patio bought furniture, patio. Right? right? Outdoor living kind of became a thing because, mm-hmm. you know, you, you could either live inside your house or outside your house, but you couldn't live anywhere else. So swimming pools, I mentioned, right? I know yeah. half a dozen hot people tubs. who had pools put in, hot yep. tubs, right? All of this outdoor living stuff, patio furniture, no different. And, and if you think about the sporting world, what we do, what we talk about, golf was unique because it, it was kind of the thing that you could do. It was for a time, quite literally, the only game in town. Right. And right. 
everybody bought golf clubs. Everybody yeah. who could ever need one. We saw it in our surveys. Replacement yeah. rates. Crazy drivers high. for for two plus years running. Fifty percent of the people who responded said they have bought a new driver in the last year. Irons, where the typical replacement cycle runs four to six years. Readers told us, I have bought 40% two years in a row, told us. Yeah. I bought new irons within the right. last year. So right. at some point, you are not going to buy a new driver, not because you're like, oh my God, 600 is too much, but it's simply saturation. because you don't need one. You just yeah. bought one. Your buddy just bought one. He may have bought two. You probably bought a full bag of clubs within the last two years. So regardless of what the price is, you aren't buying because you don't need it. You've already you? have it or something very much like it. And, and that problem is admittedly compounded by the fact that year over year performance gains are not massive. They're not significant for many golfers. They will be barely noticeable. This is the reality. And so yep. if you already have the shiny new thing, you don't need a different shiny new thing. Right. It's, it's a, it's a more convoluted situation. Supply and demand, econ 101 prices go up. People buy less of an item. That's not necessarily the case here. At, like you mentioned, at any price point, that's too expensive for somebody, right? You can have if you a, already have it, then it doesn't matter. So by by that logic, if 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 that piece of the market's kind of saturated, they could lower it to four ninety nine, and really shouldn't sell anymore because like, hey, it's kind of one of those things. Like if I already have a TV that I'm really happy with, I'm not going to replace that TV with there's year over year gains are like, Hey, that's not even significant enough. I don't care if you discount it from $1,500 to $800. That's still $800 more than zero. So right. why would I replace that one at any price? I won't. I have zero need for a new TV and therefore I'm willing to invest $0 in said new TV. And I think it's a very similar situation. And the, look, sales yeah. aren't going to be nothing. I mean, no companies are going to do okay this year because there are still some people who either actually didn't buy or always want something newer, something presumably better or willing to buy another lottery ticket in the equipment space, whatever you have it. But right. I think, I think there is a day of reckoning coming for the, for the equipment industry. And as a whole, I think it's going to be interesting because I firmly believe that there'll be one or two companies that that either didn't see that the day of reckoning was coming or felt like our stuff is so good, we're immune to it. So at, at some point, I think a surplus is inevitable. Somebody is going to have too much equipment in the marketplace and we are going to see mid-year, maybe, maybe you'll get towards the edge of fall. But I, I think... I'm fairly confident somebody's going to have too much stuff and that's going to mean discounts. Maybe we'll get to the point where we're doing that buy a driver, get a free fairway wood thing. And I don't think this is going to be a prolonged thing where it like becomes an every year thing like it was for a while. But I, I do think the right. channel may be flooded with more gear than retailers can offload. And so you are going to have to see some course corrections. That's well, my hunch. We'll see. Yeah. And, and too, I think, you know, coming out of COVID, the, the hedge would be to overbuy on materials maybe and surplus, you know, because right, this crop of drivers that's out now and stuff that's out now, these orders were placed right in the fall, maybe even prior to that ish. So they're forecasting, they're projecting. It's not like, you know, and, and they don't want to get caught short, right? right? That's the worst thing they could do is get caught short, have a banner year again, you know, whatever, run through inventory and then be 
in that situation where it's like it's June or July. It's like, hey, yeah, it's four to six weeks to get a club in again. So they, I think, really, really want to avoid that. But like you said, on the other hand, the, the reasons to get a new driver, certainly year over year, don't really exist. And if, you know, more than half the population, say even two thirds of people that, that are going to buy a new driver did so in the last cycle or two, your your pool of possible consumers is just you know much much smaller you know than it was so who knows tony you're entering the shallow end of the pool i think in, in terms of opportunity right now how long mm-hmm. it whether or not like this is the beginning of a of a decline and certainly there's some economic indicators that suggest like it, it could be bumpy for a little while so is this just a one year course correction is it a two year three year thing but I don't think prices come down as a result, unless at least not prices at launch. Like I said, you may see discounting. I think you will see discounting a, a little bit this year in a way we haven't seen for a handful of years. But I, I think the industry is probably smart enough to learn from from past lessons, and it, it's not going to be a prolonged issue. Um, and maybe we do see a situation where there is a bounce back and, and somebody gets caught a little short, but that may actually mm-hmm. be the preferable problem. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting uh, one to watch. I'd love to hear people's comments, too, if you are buying new clubs this year. Which category are you in? Are you excited to buy new clubs this year? Are you more in that, uh, hey, I'm I'm saving my money for eggs and dealing with, you know, 6%, 7% inflation and things like that? And so, man, I just got a driver. So, there, you know, like I said, if it's it reprimand, you know, I'm willing to yeah invest $0 in a new TV. Uh, there's got to be a lot of people that are in that place too. Are like, I'm willing to invest $0 in a new driver. So there you have it. Mailbag, Tony. So I know you watch nothing but golf on the weekends. You're just dialed in, tuned in. You know, I watch nothing or golf. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> you, you know, nothing good time to that but right they've had kind of this cool feature where they mic uh players up for a hole and they had max Hahn on one that which was really kind of cool keith mitchell on another one my question is if you could have any player mic'd up for a whole round who would it be and where would you want them to play who would you want to listen to maybe an upcoming tournament or something like that Oh man, I think I think the answer is probably Pat Perez, although he's on live, and so uh, I would never actually see it. Uh, I think I get the CW. I don't know. Uh, look into that. <laughs> yeah, I should look into out. that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where. I don't care where. Like, I just don't. You don't. Any other any players though that you'd be like, man, I really want this person to mic up for the whole round. Be super interesting. Right. I mean, the obvious the, the obvious answer is Tiger, right? but I don't know. I don't know. I think I he'd, I think he'd like. be boring. He might I think be. He, he, he likes his f bombs, though. I can I can get behind that. Yeah. Uh, he did. I want Jordan Spieth at the Masters. He's he's a talker. He's a talker that could work, especially given some of the demons he has on like number twelve. Some of these holes, like I would just, I'd be very interested to hear him talk through shots and processes and especially if he he were to know there's somebody on the other side of the being mic'd up right because like in this one there's back and forth with the announcers and it's like hey jordan third chat in here you got a little bit of a downhill lie you know the pins you know middle or whatever what talk us through the shot here you know i just 
I don't know. It'd be interesting. Well, I, I to hear Bryson that. just every shot has to talk about how his equipment let him down on that particular <laughs> occasion. How it just just wasn't good enough for what he was trying to execute. I, I'd be I'd be down for that. But again, I, what do we? I don't I don't know if I get CW. Yeah, well, yeah. Again, fair point. My other one, I thought it'd be kind of fun at like uh, the players, like on number seventeen, if every player that went through there on a certain day was mic'd up, so you could kind of hear what they're all thinking or doing or whatever, kind of through that that particular hole. I don't know. I think that might be kind of fun, but what do I know, Tony? I don't know. I don't know. A couple of comments I picked out here. One of them was this. They said, "Are clubs too expensive?" And the person said, "Yeah." Yeah, it's clear they're too expensive because PXG can sell them basically at half price, and they seem to be doing fine. Are the prices bloated to the point? I mean, because it's a fair criticism since we have seen the two ninety nine, we've seen ridiculously low prices. But I think their point is, if they can sell them at six hundred, can they sell them at three hundred? If you're PXG, you can because you own your distribution almost in, entirely. You don't sell at Dick's Sporting Goods, you, you know, Superstore. You don't sell at the local Greengrass, Pro Shops, any place that, quite honestly, any place where golfers have traditionally bought golf clubs, any place where the, the retailer takes 30 plus percent out of your sale. So right. if if I'm not giving away 30 plus percent off the top, then, then yeah, I can sell for less. It is, it is one of the advantages that PXG has in the marketplace for sure is that, that by and large it said, look, we're, we're just not going to play that retail game. Uh, in addition to forcing us to have higher prices all the time, it ties our hands. We can't discount. We can't do sales. Like that's, that's, that's the boat the rest of the industry is in because that disrupts retail when you do that stuff. Right. PSG doesn't have to worry about that. So that's one piece of it. And the other thing, too, if you're willing to sell a club for no money or in some cases at an actual loss to, right. to clear inventory or whatever it happens to be, yeah, you can do that. But in terms of a business model, that that's not really sustainable. If if I manufacture a club and all in it costs me three hundred dollars to make and I sell it for two fifty. Right. Yeah, you don't have to be a, a mathematical wizard to, to figure out that that business model is not sustainable. Yeah. Uh, so that that's the other piece of it. So, yeah, I mean, could clubs cost a little bit less than they do? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is it realistic to think that every driver should cost $200 cause, or, or less because PXG sold a driver for 200 or less? No. That's, yeah. that's not sustainable, not that's just, yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. going to work. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just not going to work. All right, last question, Tony. This one came up in the comments, and I'll give you a little context to it and background because I know that people get this. I know that they understand that the existence of higher price goods does not eliminate the existence of lower price goods. So your $600 driver does not mean that there aren't really, really good options at much lower price points. The question or the comment that came from the article was basically, this is pushing the elitism of golf in a certain direction. These 
higher prices, et cetera. So my question to you is, what is it about golf or golf equipment or, or whatever, in your opinion, that people feel like the price of the top end stuff needs to be in a range that is somehow palatable to the masses. Like it's unfair if I want to buy the best of the best or the new stuff that, that somehow that is what dictates whether something's affordable or not. I mean, golf has always been expensive to an extent. It has always been elitist or at least perceived by those who don't play it very often as an elitist activity, expenditure of time, whatever you want to call it. So that is, I mean, to an extent, it is the nature of golf. You have numerous country clubs, many of which are by some measure exclusive, some of them ultra exclusive, I suppose. Uh, and yeah, there is there are public alternatives, right? You can pay play Goat Hill for almost no money, wear whatever you want, and bring whatever clubs you want. So, yeah, new clubs are expensive, uh, in some cases excessively so, I would argue. But we've talked about you can get some PXG stuff for for pretty cheap. Tor Edge is is moderately to low price. Sub seventy, which is it's sort of staked its claim to to the brand for those who, who value customer service i mean that, that's an inexpensive option new level inexpensive option so as you said mm -hmm. the, the fact that a a titleist driver is 600 or tailor made is 630 or whatever whichever model you want to choose is, is the thing to point to is, is before shaking an angry fist fist the fact of the matter is you still have all kinds of options you can still get last year's model for less in some cases you can get the model from the year before last for for even less than that so you don't have to spend the money if you don't want to and that that's true of most anything i mean some you know it's probably a good idea spending money on a dentist for example from time to time but <laughs> yeah where do you like want to <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah you don't you don't have to buy a 600 dollars driver you don't have to spend 1200 on um irons you don't have to spend over 200 to get the jet black premium finish on a new Voki wedge it's the list goes on and on of the things you do not have to buy if you don't right. want to spend 55 dollars on a pro v1 you don't have to there are right. lower priced alternatives in every category so i i get it because we all kind of want the 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 expensive stuff I mean, there is a component, right, that we, we equate sure. price to performance and in, in some cases to, to quality and things like that. But you don't have to spend the money. You don't need to spend no. the money. You nope. Can, you can, I mean, once upon a time, I mean, I did a post years ago where I went on eBay and, and put together a complete bag of clubs for well less than a thousand bucks. And I think you could still do it today. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and maybe we should. I mean, that'd be an interesting thing to curate. And you've seen some of those where, Hey, what's the best bag I can put together for, you know, X, X amount, 500,000, 1500, whatever the case is. But the other point being things are expensive. Nothing is without a certain cost, but to enjoy golf, to play it really, really well, you don't need the best of everything ever. You ever. may want it. I want it. You may we all want it, but you right. don't need it. And so, Daniel Berger doesn't need it. He's playing irons that are what twelve years old. Went on eBay and bought up every single one of them he could, he could possibly find. This guy playing at the absolute 
highest level of the game, I could argue, you know, with performance stuff, geez, you know, we can put put together a bag for you that's really, really solid for, you know, pennies on the dollar compared to new stuff. So you don't need that. I'm sure some manufacturers don't love I to hear us saying that, that but I, I, I get, get it. I get it. Yeah, sure you do. You don't you don't need Axiom shafts. Sure it would be nice if you could get them though. Yep. Yep. I hear you. Anything else, Tony? Anything else you want to share with us today? No, I think we are good for this week. All right. Well, post your comments below. Let us know. If you got questions, golf spy T, golf spy C, Chris Nickel, Tony Covey. And until we see you next time, we out.